Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. I'm so grateful you're here with us, and I'm extraordinarily thankful to be your host. We're in the book uh, by Titus Kennedy, Unearthing the Bible, 101 Archaeological Discoveries. It's absolutely great. I really like Titus Kennedy. Uh, I think he's on YouTube some. I don't watch him as much as like Expedition Bible and Sergio and Rhoda and some other ones on there. But his books are outstanding. And uh, and his YouTube probably outstanding too. I just can't remember. It's like, there's only so much time in the day. So there's a lot of amazing content in this time where knowledge is increased. We can't get to it all. We'll try to give you quality content. So this is letter about a king, the Kiefa Ostrakhan, from approximately 1000 BC from Kerbet Kiefa. Very, very recent uh, profound finds at Kerbet Kiafa. I've done a few podcasts on them in times past. Please check out our other podcasts and subscribe and uh, join us daily and share with your friends, family, church family. It really helps people find us. And so let's get started what this means and what's the significance in biblical archaeology. From pages 92 93 in this wonderful book, Unearthing the Bible. A letter written in ancient Hebrew and dating to about 1000 BC was discovered at the site of Kerbet Kiafa, known as the Elah Fortress. Remember, Elah from the Old Testament. I'm going to try to read this very small print footnote. Kiafa is a 2.3 hectare acre, about 5 acre site in the Shafila Judean foothills on the north side of the Elah Valley about 20 kilometers southwest of Jerusalem. It was an Israelite fortress dated by pottery and radiocarbon test to approximately 1050 to 970 BC. So you're looking at the time of Samuel, Saul, David, that era. Excavation at the site uncovered no pig bones, no idols, and pottery distinct from other nearby Philistine cities. So that is one thing. I mean, you find rat bones, uh, pig bones, and all this in uh, Canaanite towns, Philistine towns, but not Israelite for the most part. Which, along with the Hebrew letter, conclusively demonstrated that it was a Israelite fortress. Again, you remember Elah, probably from the Bible. I think wasn't that the famous uh, David and Goliath battle there? Situated at the border between ancient Israel and Philistia, the fortress overlooked the Elah Valley where David defeated Goliath. If I had just read another couple lines. Because of the two gates found at this fortress, the excavator suggested it was a town of Sheayam, meaning two gates, which appears in Joshua, Samuel, and Chronicles. The letter was written using black carbon ink on a square shirt of pottery, an ostracon, and it is also read left to right and appears with the proto-Canaanite letters similar to those found on the Isbet Sarta Ostracon, which several days ago we did a podcast on that, if my memory serves me correctly. Now I'm going to underline this too because it also read left to right. As we know that uh, most Hebrew uh read right to left, obviously, but um, Proto-Hebrew, and Paleo-Hebrew it's called, I've run across some instances just recently where it reads left to right, which is interesting. So, um, 
so this differs from the standard Hebrew alphabet known from inscriptions in Israel and Judah during the period of the divided kingdom. It's a proto-Canaanite. This letter from the time of King David found at the Elah Fortress is significant, not only because it further demonstrates the literacy of the Israelites and early usage of written Hebrew. So notice this proto-Canaanite is equivalent of early Hebrew. But the content informs us of historical content that matches descriptions of the time of the Bible. That's been one of the things over the few years I've been studying Paleo-Hebrew, because this isn't like widely known, but Paleo-Hebrew gave birth to the Greek alphabet. The Greek alphabet gave rise to the English alphabet. So there's a huge direct correlation from Paleo-Hebrew, not what we call Biblical Hebrew, but Paleo-Hebrew, which would have been used probably at least until the time of Ezra, and in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and things, you know, centuries after that. Especially, fascinating thing about that, like in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the uh, name of God many times, Tetragrammaton, will be in Paleo-Hebrew, and everything else would be in what most people think Ezra kind of combined Paleo-Hebrew with Aramaic and kind of created what we call, for various reasons, we won't go into all that, what we would call Ezra described the uh, Hebrew language or biblical Hebrew. Of course, vowel points, that's all another deal. But uh, the content informs us the historical context that matches descriptions of the same time in the Bible. So that's just, uh, again, just fascinating to me. Oh, I was going to say, one of the things that's so difficult, even on the same website, like you'll hear early Canaanite, early Phoenician, Phoenician, Proto-Phoenician, Proto-Canaanite, Proto-Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew, and they all mean basically the same thing. <laughs> and it's like, and I'm talking about it's not different websites using various terms it's the same website, and this is, happens constantly. So in the few years I've been studying Paleo-Hebrew, it's been extraordinarily difficult sometimes to track down exactly uh, what they're referring to, especially if I don't have, you know, because, you know, when I, you study it for a little while, you can recognize Paleo-Hebrew when you see it, even though it is close to some other things, and it evidently came from hieroglyphs and uh, which the mosaic a lot of people think Jacob and uh, excuse me J uh, Joseph and Ephraim created the first alphabet 22 letter consonantal alphabet from hieroglyphs into proto-Canaanite and this would have been in the 16-1700s BC um but it's very difficult if you don't have it in front of you and you're just reading it and it's describing it and it just says it's in proto-Canaanite, early Phoenician. It's like, is this Paleo-Hebrew? So again, it's just very difficult. Although the ink is faded, getting back to this, and certain letters are difficult to read, the text of five lines mentions a command, serving God and the king. Because the fortress was Israelite and the language of the letter was Hebrew, it demonstrates that there was a king in Israel at that time. That's 
you can't overestimate the significance of that. Because I still read stuff, you know, maybe like in the Smithsonian Magazine and stuff like that. Which I'm not throwing shade on them at all. I've used them a lot. I love the Smithsonian too. <laughs> it's been many years since I've been, but I love it. Um, but it, it just say they, they write like... Uh, let's just say liberal archaeologists overall, right? Like there was no king in Israel at that time. And regardless of the various inscriptions of David, at least three we found showing that he was a king and that he had a monarchy and David's palace being found and Saul's palace being excavated as well. They just ignore it. It's like, come on now. Um, so because the, uh, the fortress was Israelite in the language of letter in Hebrew, it demonstrates there was a king in Israel at that time, where we emphasize that point, that the kingdom extended far beyond merely the area of Jerusalem. The Israelites, including their king, were literate and wrote letters, like David writing to the front lines to kill uh, Uriah, and uh, that the Israelite border with the Philistines was at the Elah Valley at the time of David, all which recorded in the books of Samuel and Chronicles. So it's amazing. It gives the scripture quotation, 2 Samuel 11, 14, and 15. So the uh, Kaapha Ostrakon, again, worshiping God, that's very significant there too. Uh, a lot of these archaeological finds depends really like uh, the gift in the hand of the one who receives it, whichever way it turns, it prospers. You know, because you could emphasize it, not only emphasize the multiple things that uh, Mr. Kennedy says, which is so amazing, but also that uh, God at that early date was mentioned as well. So God bless. Thanks for being here. And tomorrow we got one of my favorites, the Goliath of Goth, Ostrakhan. This was one of the most stunning ones to me. So we'll talk with you later. Do leave us a five-star review. Helps people find us. Listen to our other podcast here on the channel. Subscribe and uh, share with your friends, family, church family. Maybe make a notebook or a journal of things you find interesting. We'll talk with you later. God bless you. Bye-bye.